Now, as we turn back to God's Word, um, allow me to just read from verse 11 down to verse 16 of uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, beginning to read from verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then the verses that we'll be looking at. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." We'll end our reading there. Again, welcome to our ongoing series of messages entitled Celebrating the Unsearchable Riches of Christ. And so far, we have been seeing how the Apostle Paul, first of all, in chapter 1, showed how our salvation goes from eternity to eternity. How initially we were chosen In Christ, Christ then came and died for us on the cross and then in due season the Holy Spirit brought us from death to life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that therefore our salvation is guaranteed all the way to eternity as he had put it there in the work of the Holy Spirit saying that he has guaranteed our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Then went on to see how as the Apostle Paul was praying for the Ephesian brethren that they might know something of their salvation in experience. He spoke about the fact that the power of God that was at work in them was like the power of God that in fact was at work in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So that they might realize that this is not simply them trying to get to heaven based on their own promises and on their own efforts, but based on what God himself uh, has done and continues to do because it is like the power 
that he exerted in Christ. That's what brought us to chapter 2 and verse 10, as the Apostle Paul wrestled with that reality, that we, we too might recognize, to borrow the words of verse 10, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And as we saw, something which we refer to as a workmanship is that which exhibits the, the marvelous ability that somebody has in order to produce a fine piece of art. And that's what it is in this particular case. When we do get to heaven, it will not be us boasting about what we have done. Rather, we will be, as it were, pieces of art on shelves that anybody looking at can say, wow, what a great God this is. So as we are there and we are worshiping him and serving him, the glory will go to him rather than coming to us. Well, that's what brings us to verse 10. And then verse 11 downwards now, we are seeing the way in which the church is one in Christ, which is an extraordinary achievement. Because, as we shall see again today, the world is fragmented with full of hostility one to another. And yet, God in his power has not only enabled you and me to find our way to heaven, God in his power has also enabled you and me to be together making our way to heaven. Strengthening one another. Encouraging one another. Because it is the work of God to bring this about. And what we notice as we began from verse 11 was, first of all, the clear hostility that was there even from the Jews with respect to the Gentiles. We saw the way in which they looked at themselves as the circumcised and looked at the Gentiles as the uncircumcised. And basically that's a statement that is demeaning to them. It is like the Gentile dogs. Who are they? And so forth. That's the background. And he also spoke about the way in which they, in reality, were missing out on these real benefits of relating to God. He says that we were separated from Christ. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. But that has now changed. Hence the phrase, but now. But now, in verse 13. We spent quite a bit of time looking at that the last time. That yes, we're previously outsiders, but now we are insiders through Christ. In union with Christ. He has brought us near to God 
through his shed blood, the blood that is shed on Calvary, we are now near God. Today, we'll take an even deeper look as we'll spend our time looking at verse 14 and verse 15. And as we look at it, we are seeing there how Christ has achieved this. How has he brought together a fragmented people so that we can say for sure that we are one in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the answer, as the title of my sermon says, is that he himself is our peace. Look at the way in which verse 14 begins. For he himself is our peace. This is the Apostle Paul's effort at showing how this has been so achieved in him that he is not just the one who has given us the peace, He's not simply the one who has secured our peace, but literally, he is our peace. By having him, we have all that peace that we need in order for us to go forward as one body. How has he done it? Well, to begin with, as he puts it here, he has made Jews and Gentiles to become one. Jews and Gentiles to become one. Look at the text again. He says there, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He has made both to be one. Now, in a sense, we, this passage, as we are now coming into verse 14 downwards, is the main theme there is the theme of peace. You notice it in our text, verse 14. We notice it also in verse 15, where he says towards the end that he has created in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. We notice it also in verse 17, where in fact the word is used twice. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. What is peace? What is it that Paul is introducing as he's talking about unity in the church? Well, I think we all know that unity is essentially that tranquility that we have because of reconciliation. Either reconciliation with God, which is a vertical tranquility, or reconciliation with one another, again, it is basically the same. It is the opposite of hostility. Again, a word which we find in this text a few times over. Notice in verse 14 that we are looking at towards the end that he has broken down in his flesh 
the dividing wall of hostility. Or, again at the end of verse 16, thereby killing the hostility. So, at least we know when we are not at peace with one another. There is aggression, there is uh, antagonism, there is hatred, there is enmity, there is hostility, and so forth. We know that things are not well between that person and myself. Well, peace is the exact opposite. It is what enables us to dwell with one another. So if you are not at peace with God, you will not go to heaven. Because God is there. And obviously, you cannot dwell with him there. Exactly the same thing with us as we are relating to one another. When there is no peace between us and somebody else, we can't dwell in the same home. We can't dwell in the same office. We can't dwell in the same classroom. We can't dwell in the same church and so on. Because there is no peace between us. So peace is one of those ingredients that glues us together as human beings. Quite um, like love and also trust. When you throw those ingredients together, they give you the tripartite ingredients that keep us together as human beings. So again, clearly, Human beings need this in order to be one. And basically what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned was that where there was once peace, you now had hostility. You remember the way in which um, uh, Adam referred to his wife after God said, what has happened? And his response was, is this woman who's uh, uh, here with me. She's the one who has caused what has happened. You can't miss the fact that the relationship there, something has gone wrong. But even when God was now pronouncing judgment on the earth, you will notice that he was really saying that the tranquility that you have known between yourselves and creation is over. Now you will have enmity and hostility everywhere you look. So really, the absence of peace is something that is because of sin coming into the world. And what we will be seeing this morning is that God, through Christ, resolves that problem through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. In fact, if you will remember, when Jesus Christ was announced as one who was going to come on earth, in the words of um, Isaiah and chapter 9, we are told that a son is going to be born, and one of his names is Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. 
He was going to bring peace. When his actual birth was being announced, turn with me to Luke and chapter 1. When his birth was being announced, a number of times it was reported that he will actually bring peace. Luke chapter 1 and uh, the very last verse, or the second last verse. I want to see where I should start. Let me begin from verse 76. Luke chapter 1 and verse 76. This is Zechariah prophesying. And he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. He's talking there about John the Baptist. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Now listen to this. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and here it is, to, get, to guide our feet in, into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong, and this is referring to, um, what's his name, to John the Baptist, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance of Israel, or rather to Israel. And chapter 2, chapter 2, where now the angels are announcing the actual birth of our Savior. Chapter 2 and verse 14. Let me begin from verse 13. And suddenly, or maybe let's go a little further to see where he's actually announced as being born. Verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this ingredient of peace was something that was going to come because the prince of peace has been sent into the world. And that is the reason why when we come to our text, what we are reading there is not an imperative. It is not God saying that we should have peace. It is God saying that there is peace. Peace has been achieved. Peace has actually been secured. Let's go back to our text. Ephesians and chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It's been done. He has made 
the Jews and the Gentiles to now be reconciled, to be one. He has broken down that wall of hostility. It's not even talking about the future, sort of saying, well, it is hoped that there is going to be this unity. It is something that has already been done. In other words, the church is one. There isn't a church for the Jews over there and then a church for the Gentiles over there. The church is one across history and then also across the globe. So if I am to go into Israel, into Jerusalem, and I attend First Baptist Church in Jerusalem, I should be there among my brothers and sisters, just the way in which I would be here. Because it is one church, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has made us one. And we are told here, it is using picture language, by breaking down a wall. By breaking down a wall. The dividing wall of hostility. Now, I've said that's picture language. Let's quickly say, what is the reality? What is that dividing wall that was impregnable, that was impossible to bring down? What is it? Well, thankfully, Paul speaks about it literally in the next breath. So this is what he says there. Chapter 2, verse 14, now in verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. By abolishing this law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Of course, if you are there, you must be asking the question, what on earth does the Apostle Paul mean? It's simple. What is it that separated the Jews from all other ethnic groups on the planet? So that we can speak in terms of Jews and then everybody else being called Gentile. What is it that separated the Jews from everyone else? Well, the answer is that they had laws. They had ceremonial laws, and they also had civil laws that were God-given. God himself gave those laws to them. And those laws separated the Jews from everybody else. So that if you wanted to attach yourselves to the Jews, there would be some separate laws for you. And those laws actually said that you were a second-class citizen. You were to be in the outer court. You could not participate with them in everything. 
because of those same laws. They had initially their tabernacle, and later on it was turned into a temple which had its own priesthood in the family line of Aaron and the Levites who were also an entire group of people that were serving within that temple, you could never be a priest. Forget it. You would never be a Levite serving in a diaconal role within the temple. Never. Simply by bloodline, you couldn't. And as I've already said, even in that temple, assuming you were allowed, there was some place outside there where you would be while the Jews themselves would be on the inside going through their activities of worship. They had their peculiar offerings that were part of their actual worship. The, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the food offering, the burnt offering, the wave offering, the ordination offering. Those were, again, peculiarly theirs that none of the rest of the nations could participate in. They were theirs entirely. They also had their own laws. Laws for cleansing lepers, laws that had to do, for instance, with the great day of atonement that took place once a year. Laws that had many Sabbaths, not just the Sabbath that is in the Ten Commandments, which is an ongoing one, but they had so many other ones. They had all kinds of feasts that they were going through across the year, which they deliberately were commanded to make sure that they had every year. In fact, there was a time when they all actually would live in tents. Even though they had an actual house, during that week, they would actually go out of the house and dwell in tents. It was an actual activity that God had commanded them to live by. And then every 49 to 50th year, they had what they called the year of Jubilee. When every Jew who had sold himself as a slave was to be freed to go back and become a free man or woman. It was the year in which all the land that they had sold in order to survive, had to be given back to them. So it was the year when there was, as it were, a rebooting of everything. Everything. Again, it was peculiarly Jewish. It was up to them, and it was for them. They had all these roles on regulating communal life, the way in which you treated slaves, 
the way in which you handled if somebody had uh, perhaps touched a dead body and so forth. They had laws that were dealing with that. And they had an entire penal code for various crimes, depending on what you did. For instance, if you killed a human being and it was not intentional, they had like six cities that you needed to run to before the avenger of blood caught up with you. And as long as you finally found yourself in that city, you were safe on one condition, that you never come out of that city. Unless the high priest who was saving at that time dies. When he dies, you can now come out of that city and uh, you are a free man. On the other hand, if you killed intentionally, even if you ran into that city, they would still come in for you, get you out, and kill you. Life for life. So, here is an entire fabric woven together of all these laws that the Jews lived by. Can you see why anybody who began to relate to them was an outsider? Inevitably. Because it's not like Zambian laws where you can come in and uh, take up residence or citizenship and begin to live by them. These were laws that were peculiarly for those who were born from not Adam and Eve, not even from Noah, but born from Abraham, full stop. Born from Abraham, full stop. Well, what we are being told is this. When Jesus came, he put dynamite under that entire superstructure and blew it down. The whole of it. The whole of it. He abolished, we are told there, the law of commandments expressed in all these ordinances, in all these laws, in all these regulations. He broke them down. He abolished them. He did it in his flesh. And what that simply means is that he did it through his life on earth and also through his death. Dealt with it completely, once and for all. Look with me quickly at Colossians and chapter 2. Colossians and chapter 2. Just a single verse there, but it is one that is definitely uh, worth looking at quickly. Chapter 1, sorry, chapter 2, and uh, verse 16. The Bible says there, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard 
to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And what he's referring to here is exactly what we're talking about here, there in, in um, Ephesians 2. It is all these ceremonial and civil laws that had been enacted by God that had become so much part of the life of Israel. And we're being told there, don't let anybody pass judgment. In other words, condemn you over these matters. Why not? Well, listen to verse 17. Verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. In other words, it's over. Totally over. It's been replaced by Christ himself. He has fulfilled all those laws and regulations and commandments and ordinances in his being. They were all pointing to him. He has now come. So why should they continue? He is now there. They were a shadow. He is the substance. And that's the reason why now a Jew who is now saved moves from all that and comes now into that freedom that is his in Christ. He doesn't need, for instance, to offer sin offerings and guilt offerings and grain offerings and peace offerings and food offerings. Why? Because Christ has offered himself to God. He's done it. He is the unblemished sacrifice that has satisfied the requirements of God completely. So there's no need for me to go among my animals and pick out one that seems to be perfect in my eyes and take it over to a temple or wherever is there in order for it to be sacrificed in my place. No need. In fact, the moment Jesus Christ died, do you remember what happened to the curtains in the temple between the holy place and the most holy place? The curtains were torn, signifying that the place into the holy of holies is now open to all of us. And to show that it was a divine act, not an act of a human being, you remember the way that curtain was torn? It was torn from top to bottom. Now, if it was from bottom to top, we would have all been suspicious that there must be some scoundrel somewhere there who has torn it and run away. But if it tears from there coming downwards, whoever has torn it must be up there. God did it. It was no longer necessary to maintain all those ordinances. Jesus Christ 
when he cried on the cross, it is finished, it was finished. And consequently, that barrier was brought down completely. So when we are thinking about the church, we are thinking about this brand new institution. It's not the Jews continuing with their religion and then us simply sort of being added in this new phase, just being added there. No. It is the starting of a brand new body in that sense. Look again at the way Paul finishes our text. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at the way he puts it here. Verse 16. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. In one body. Or, as he puts it earlier, he says then, verse 14, he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh our hostility. The emphasis there is that we don't join the Jews. The Jews don't join the Gentiles. All of us abandon our religions in order to come into this one new body, the body of Christ. All of us. Now, there is a lot in the Jewish Old Testament that then metamorphizes into the New Testament church. There's no doubt about it. But a Jew does not come in saying, I am a Jew, Selenico. Doesn't do that. He comes in, in exactly, on exactly the same basis as I come in. A sinner saved by grace. There's nothing like, you know, Abraham is my forefather, whatever. Nothing. It is that I sinned against God and the death of Christ is sufficient for me. Period. And that's what Paul goes on to talk about here. It is creating a totally new body and he's created it in himself. I love that. Verse 15. And that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. I hope you've seen that. We are not visiting a Jewish religion so that we feel like we are just adopted children there who, are, who should be in some corner with certain rights that other people don't, I mean, others have more rights than us. We are all coming in into this one new body. 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace so making peace it is not jesus christ plus something else it is jesus alone that's exactly the way paul needed to be saved he needed to come in saying nothing in my hands i bring simply to the cross i cling finish and that's what made it very difficult and still makes it very difficult for jews to come to christ it's because they have so much that they need to give up and they are still hanging on to it hanging on to it and they cannot come to christ carrying a truck full of jewish laws and regulations and so on they can't it's the same with all of us with our cultural traditions and religions we can't come with them and then have christ plus whatever else no it must be christ and christ alone empty hands clinging onto the cross is that the way you have come is that the way you've come you know i find a lot of times when i'm reading testimonies of people who've grown up in christian homes it's incredible they can be in a church where they are being told over and over again that even if you are brought up in a christian home you are not a christian until you repent yourself and believe in christ yourself somehow it goes in through one ear and out through the other it just never sinks until later on christ catches up with them and they get converted and there's always that line that you know i was thinking that because my parents were christians i'm also a christian yeah but you know, it was being preached in the pulpit literally every week that you are not but somehow they still want to hang on to this surely i cannot be as bad as everybody else those murderers those people that have never had anything to do with christianity they've never darkened the door of a church surely i have some benefit no you don't everybody comes into the church on exactly the same terms repentance towards god and faith in the lord jesus christ those are the only ones that he brings into this new body on equal terms let me end there for this morning but i hope you're seeing why the apostle paul says he is our peace because in his life and in his death he has broken down 
the walls of hostility and brought all of us into his body on exactly the same terms. He has made us one. He has destroyed. He has abolished. And therefore, our role is not so much to create unity. Nah, he's already done it. Our role is to maintain that unity. That's our role. To maintain that unity in the body of Christ. It seems to me that it's because we do not realize this that we undervalue the Christian church. Where else have you got a body in which all other human distinctions are blown away by dynamite into nothing? Where else? You go to your workplaces. You go to your schools. In your society, you will always find society fragmented. Always. You may be in the same university. I remember when I was going to university, there, there was, the people who were doing humanities were called, you know, chikwakwa. You know, chikwakwa. Those who are chikwakwa. And then those who were doing engineering, they, they also had their, their, their own phrase, which was really feeling proud about, you know, what they have done and, or what they are studying. Always some way of segregation. Where else do you find a body that, that's, that's not interested in your skin color? It's not interested. There's only one thing that matters. Your relationship with Christ. Where else would you find a body that's not interested in, in your tribe? It's not. That what matters is that you belong to Christ. So, a body that is actually interested in you. Interested in you. Not because you pay them, but because they have recognized you as their brother and their sister. And therefore, they are genuinely interested in you. They, they actually pray for you. Yes! Crying to God on your behalf that God would look after you. Where else? But in this one body called the Christian church. Friends, the church is not a club. It's not. It's the body of Christ in which whether you're rich or poor, male, female, slave or free, whatever your ethnic group might be, we are all one. Established on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I close, I ask again. Are you part of it through repentance and faith? Are you? Have you come to that one foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ, on which the church is best? Have you come to that one foundation? 
and experienced his salvation in such a way that you identify now with the church. You can say, I belong. These are my people. We are together on a journey to a common destination. And we will be together for all eternity. Have you come to Christ that way? Only you can answer. Amen.